Hello and welcome to Cryptids Decrypted. I am Ashton McCauley, your host. Uh, I write about monsters and monster hunters and other things in my spare time. And then, you know, I also create this podcast because I find it all quite fascinating. Uh, today we're talking about the Bermuda Triangle. It's the second to last episode of season three. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's helped us get to this point. I mean, like, I think we hit 25,000 listens the other day, which is pretty incredible. Definitely more than we ever thought we would have. So if you like the show and you're on a platform where you can, go ahead and rate it. Uh, otherwise, just share it with as many people as possible because that's how this gets around. We don't do advertising. We are terrible at marketing, terrible at social media. <laughs> so, you know, when you share it, that's uh, that's how we get more listens. And we really appreciate it. So thanks for listening. Let's get into it. All right, welcome back. Tail end, season three of Cryptids Decrypted. This is episode nine of ten, and we're talking about the Bermuda Triangle. John, where where, where did you first hear about the Bermuda Triangle? First off, I just want to call out that um, we are completing what will hopefully one day be known as one of those holy trilogies. Um, mm-hmm. Think your Star Wars, think your Lord of the Rings, your Jurassic Parks. Just incredible trilogies where we started off with mermaids, we did Atlantis, and now we're we're capping it off with Bermuda Triangle. So yeah, Spielberg can eat our butts. You heard it here first. He can have a double serving of yours. Um, <laughs> now, where did I hear about Bermuda Triangle? I mean, it's I, I think I read about it in um, God. I don't even remember what those like young young adult books that I watch or I I used to to read but i think it was called skeleton key or something like that um and it's just one of those things where bermuda triangle has kind of permeated into everything and i've always known that it was this scary mean area where bad things happen you know in the caribbean and you know it's it's hard to nail down i mean it's just like mermaids where it's like where'd you first hear of a mermaid it's like i i I don't know it's just something i've some kind of knowledge i've always had what about you? Yeah, I was trying to think about this, and it's hard to pin down. Um, because, you know, for I think for a long time, I had this fantasy of uh, becoming an explorer and discovering things that were unknown. And so, like, all these these documentaries on the History Channel and all that were super intriguing. And I think, I think that's probably where, like, there was probably a documentary on the Bermuda Triangle that I watched, and I was like, wow, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there someday, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what's, what's actually in there. And I was just like, you know, really excited about the idea, but also terrified of it. And uh, apparently I also had this misconception for a long time to the point where I <laughs> I wrote it into the first draft of a book and now I'm going to have to take it out. Apparently, I so I thought Amelia Earhart got lost in the Bermuda Triangle. I thought that was a thing, but apparently she got lost over the Pacific, not the Atlantic. Do we know where she got lost? Like, did she? Yeah, well, I mean, we definitely know which side of the ocean it was on. Okay. Yeah, like it was like, I think it was on the I think I was on the wrong side of the continent. Uh, And apparently either way, she was just nowhere near the Bermuda Triangle. So I had that one incorrect. (laughs) I was like Googling and searching for it when I was doing our research. I was like, Amelia Earhart, Bermuda Triangle connection. And it's like, no, (laughs) it's just nothing there. So I don't know why, maybe just because it's a famous disappearance. But I had that connection in my head this whole time. And uh, today it was proven wrong. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. That's. That's going to be interesting because I really like how you wove her character in 
Um, yeah. You're going to have to keep her in somehow or just pull alternate history shit or have her have a throwaway line. Like, you know, I'm, I almost made it all the way around the world. I was yeah. so close. And then right before I landed in Florida, shucks. I think I'll have to do multiple triangles around the world, you know, like and and so there's a there's a theory that I'm going to talk about that I think enables that to a really interesting. Okay, degree I know exactly which theory you're talking about. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna suggest that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep, there's some cool stuff. So let's 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 get into this. So just what the hell is the Bermuda Triangle? Uh, it is an area of ocean formed if you drew a triangle. Surprise! From the eastern edge of the tip of Florida, also known as Hell, uh, to Bermuda. And then to Puerto Rico and back again. So it's a pretty pretty big area. And five hundred thousand square miles, which yeah. is a lot. And it's it's heavily it's heavily trafficked for you know for obvious reasons. It's like it's there's a lot of traffic that goes through there, uh, especially like cruise ships and stuff too. In the well, you know when when we used to have cruises, aquatic carnivals, yes. Uh, and so like while most of the sightings come from the 20th century, there are a few references to the area from earlier. Uh, as much as the fact that, like, the actual term, Bermuda Triangle, is not claimed until basically, like, the end of the 1960s. But that being said, let's go back to our good pal, Christopher Columbus, in the 1400s. This time, he's not around nagging mermaids. Uh, that's something, you know, he he did earlier in his voyage. He was done with that. And now he's, like, now he's talking about the Bermuda Triangle. So depending on he, what you he, read, sorry, he he read the game, realized it was full of shit, and moved on by then. <laughs> that was his light reading for the first crossing. Got it. Um, he just he had, he was reading the game, and he's like, "This is how I'm going to get all of these pioneer women." And then yeah, he just realized it was incorrect when the mermaids rejected his advances. So depending on where you read, there's a lot of versions of what Christopher Columbus actually saw on his crossing. Uh, pretty consistent one is that he saw this massive flame come down from the sky and hit the ocean which people say was likely a meteor, but you can imagine being at sea for a few weeks, uh, you know. Like, I mean, meteors are dope on their own. So, just, like, you see nothing for, for however long that passing took, a long time, and then you see a meteor. Like, you're gonna, you might think it's some mystical shit, especially back in the day. And it, just a personal note, like, one time I was driving back from a Mariners game uh, from Seattle to Bellingham, and I saw a meteor fall across the freeway, and... I, I lost my shit. I was pretty sure the invasion was happening. So <laughs> Okay, but to be fair, how many how many drugs were still in your system? You can't go to a Mariners game on drugs, man. You just get high on how well they play. I was going to say, you can't go to a Mariners game not on drugs. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll just be disappointed and depressed. Hey, hey, we had a hell of an opening game uh, last week. How, how have we done since? I, you know, I don't want to talk about it. But uh, so Columbus also saw a flickering light. Uh, on the horizon coming from the ocean but when it, when he pointed it out to other people it disappeared so it's very spooky but a lot of people are just like yeah that could you know have been a distant ship or whatever and lastly he said the compasses went haywire and the stars above seemed to move i have had too much to drink on a boat before i have also seen stars move i don't know next one is in the 1600s uh you might have heard of this guy his name is shakespeare he he wrote a a little play called The Tempest. It was, I think, his last play. And that is based on a shipwreck that happened in the space that would later be known as the Triangle. The Sea Venture was an English English supply ship bound for the Jamestown colony that wrecked in Bermuda in 1609. Uh, this was a brand new ship that used the method of single timber, timbering rather than double timbering. And you might be like, what does that mean? I'm not a shipwright. 
turns out kind of hard to research, but I think I figured it out. So I think that double timbering is when you have uh, basically like a hole and then an outer hole. So it's like a like there's a space in between them and single timbering is just one. I, I guess like maybe they got better at boat building and they didn't need two holes anymore. Well, well, having that air pocket between the holes enables more, more buoyancy and I'm guessing it allows you to carry more on the ship. Well, so that's the thing though, is this was like a pretty heavy cargo ship. But, and it was like a brand new design. This is like the first of its line and it set sails for the colony with supplies and then bam, hits a hurricane. The other ships that were with it went down almost immediately, but the Sea Venture fought the storm for three days. And the theory is that the caulking had not set uh, because it was so new and the ship's mm. disparate pieces actually began to separate and like basically just disintegrated. And it wrecked on a reef off the coast of Bermuda. The ship stayed above water long enough that they could actually get some of the supplies off. But then, you know, it disappeared. And it was, they think it was positively identified by divers, actually, in the 1950s, despite there not being a ton left of it. Not exactly mysterious, but definitely in the triangle. And while the Tempest does involve a fair bit of magic, uh, relatively little of it is actually about shipwreck. And uh, he, he sure as shit didn't say some mystical force sunk the ship. Like, it was probably just a bad storm. That's that's another theme that we're going to see moving forward, is there's a lot of bad storms in the Bermuda Triangle. Like, it is it is a hurricane-prone area. Like, I don't know if you've ever, you know, been to the Florida coast, but... I was going to say, I mean, think about where all the major hurricanes hit. And it is in the Caribbean, it is off the coast of Florida, it is in Puerto Rico, those types of areas. So that's... That's really not that surprising. I mean, they all um, really pick up steam in the ocean, in the Bermuda Triangle area, and then move towards land. So Yeah, I think it's like basically in Hurricane Alley. It's pretty close. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like that's sure. Shakespeare t- technically references the Bermuda Triangle and it's like kind of mysterious how that ship sank. Not really, like when you know about the caulking. Um, but... Let's let's get into some spooky ones. Uh, 1872, the Mary Celeste. So this ship goes into the Triangle, and then it is uh, found on December 4th, perfectly intact, with one crucial piece missing. The crew. Sorry, sorry. A crucial piece? Uh, you didn't draw God, that out. God damn it. Ah, missed opportunities. But this ship was found under partial sail with no crew aboard. The lifeboat was also missing, should be known. But they found a sword on the deck and several barrels of the cargo were empty, but almost all of the valuables on the ship weren't missing. So they were able to rule out a pirate attack, which is kind of interesting. So they find this ship, like nothing's wrong with it, just the entire crew's missing. And they can't find it. The theory on why this ship sunk is that it had been recently retrofitted. uh, So sort of like the same thing with the other new ship. And had a faulty bilge pump. And so they they found the pump disassembled when they when they found the ship. And the idea is that the captain was looking at the pump. And because it wasn't working, wasn't able to tell how much water they had taken on during a storm. And they possibly sighted land. And so rather than like dealing with the possibility of sinking, they just abandoned ship and went for land. But, I mean, again, like they never found the people. So... Lifeboat could have been sunk at sea like that. There's strong currents in that area that could throw things all around. There's there's a lot of interesting things where it's like they didn't find the people, but it's like, hey, guys, the ocean's a really big place. Yeah. Yeah. The ocean's a really big place. And also, like it said that they encountered a storm. So 
Like, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, so in my opinion, this doesn't really get interesting until 1918. This is like when the myth really starts and people start actually like visualizing the triangle. Again, it's not called the triangle yet. Um, and, you know, most of that's because the, the name of the triangle is kind of bullshit, but we'll get there in a minute. So the USS Cyclops, this is possibly the most famous disappearance in the Bermuda Triangle. It's a big old coal ship. It's about 540 feet long, 65 feet wide, has a crew of 306. In March of 1918, the ship was traveling between Brazil and, I wrote down Barbados instead of Barbados, but that sounds fun. It's going to Barbados. Uh, Barbados, um, one of the very popular ports in the movie, The Pirates of the Caribbean. Is Barbados in Pirates of the Caribbean? I believe it is. Oh, interesting. So Barbados, they're going to Barbados uh, before resupplying on this long trip back to Baltimore. And the last known message they got from the ship was the ship was simply uh, weather fair, all well. And then bam, gone, vanished. No trace has ever been found of the ship. It is considered the single largest non-combat loss of uh, of life in naval history because all 306 people gone, never heard from again. Uh, now, the ship was supposed to be the fastest fuel ship available at the time. It was transporting manganese for munitions to aid the war effort in addition to the coal. Resupplying these ships was known to be incredibly dangerous work at the time because if anything caught fire, that's the ballgame. Like, big boom, everything is done. The ship was uh, also outfitted with 50 caliber guns in case of attack. So this was like, gosh, 1918. I'm really bad at history, so I'm not quite sure when World War One started. But this is this is wartime. So this, you know, it's outfitted with guns. It's transporting stuff to, for munitions. And the theory was maybe it was sunk by a German submarine or some other unexpected warship in the area. Really quick, World War One ended in November 11th, 1918. So it is in that time. Okay, so this is, yeah, this is right at the end of World War One. So basically, the uh, historians think that it was, they don't, they don't think it was plausible that there was German ships in the area, which kind of makes sense, I guess, if the war is winding down, right? They, you know, they rule, they rule that out. And even though it's like a, it's a ship full of flammable goods, you think like if a U-boat hits it, that's a pretty good recipe for a disappearance with no survivors in the middle of the ocean. But let's talk about the strange things. So usually when a ship is sunk, they find something, whether it's floating debris or stuff washing up on nearby shores, whatever. And nothing was ever found in this ship, like literally nothing. Uh, there were no distress calls. So whatever happened was either very quick or took out communications in some way. And there's this guy named Marvin Brash, who's a descendant of one of the firefighters that was aboard that ship. And his suspicion was that there was an untrained crew aboard and a huge rolling wave tipped the ship over. And that this likely happened near one of the ocean's deepest trenches, which runs right through the Bermuda Triangle area, which would have made the ship unretrievable. And, like... These days, there are fewer and fewer unsolved ship mysteries every year because the technology for finding them gets so much better. Uh, but we still haven't found anything on this one. And it's like, it's a big ship. So theoretically, like, if we were scanning the ocean floor, we would have found it. Unless, of course, it went down in that trench. And, um, you know, like with the fact that when a ship sinks, it creates that big vortex that pulls everything down. Totally possible. Weirder. So it had three sister ships. And they were all essentially the same make. Two more of them disappeared without a trace in the triangle. And then one was scuttled after an attack from the Japanese in 1942. 
Um, and it's worth noting that was actually the U.S.'s first aircraft carrier. So that's kind of neat. So four ships. The first one sinks at the end of World War I. Uh, the rest of the other three sink uh, like in World War II or right before World War II. So the USS Proteus and Nereus both disappear in November and December of 1941. And so all these ships were commissioned at the same time. And three out of four disappeared without a trace in the triangle, which leads me to believe like maybe there was a design flaw, you know, like if, if, if they're all the same ship and they're all disappearing in the same place, I don't know. Um, so there is this, this leads to the theory that these ships had faulty eye beams, which these are, you know, they're beams that look like the letter I and they run the length of a ship and they serve as significant structural support. And, because these cargo ships were, like, in the 40s, they were pretty old. Um, in, in the, like, you know, in 1918, when the other ones, like, they were all transporting very corrosive cargo. And there's other instances of similar ships, like, literally just snapping in half in calm water because the I-beams have corroded. And so couple that with the foul weather, uh, especially over the trench, and, like, especially if there's a rogue wave, and you've got a very quickly sinking ship, and the down current can easily pull everything to the bottom. And the U.S. military never filed any U-boat claims or anything like that for these vessels, meaning it was not believed they were killed by German subs. So that's three pretty high-profile military disappearances. And then, so the, those are all boats, and I, I don't know about you, but like when I think of the Bermuda Triangle and things disappearing, usually I think of planes. I'm not sure why, but... So I'm the opposite. Um, I actually didn't really think of planes until I, until I started doing research, and when it comes to modern day, it, it is largely airplanes that have gone missing. Uh, there are a few that are, that are boats, but I, for some reason, just anticipated it all being boats. So, planes. This is the first the first plane disappearance that I, I found that was like of note. And I should I should say like I am skipping some stuff, but there are so many goddamn disappearances that get reported in the Bermuda Triangle because it's a national phenomenon, right? That people know about. Yeah, I the stat I saw was over fifty ships, five zero, and over twenty airplanes have quote mysteriously disappeared there unquote. Right. And you, you got to wonder how much of that is just like people report it because it's the triangle. Well, well, and I think another interesting thing that I was going to get to later is Larry Kush came in and he thought the concept of the Bermuda Triangle was a load of bullshit. He then went back and tracked a bunch of historical stories and disappearances, cross-referenced the dates to see if there were weird weather reports. Um, in actually looking at actual causes of what made, might have destroyed boats and planes. And then he also tracked down a bunch of boats that were reported missing when they, in fact, actually did report back to port, everything intact, but weren't reported. So they were like reported missing, showed up, and nobody corrected that. Oh um, my God. So his standpoint is that this is a manufactured mystery. And just last note before I let you get back to airplanes is he does seem like our kind of guy. He is very data oriented and he drills down on this theory, just basically saying, look, this body of water is not significantly greater um, in terms of danger when it comes to reported missing ships and aircrafts versus any other like sized part of the ocean. It's like, yeah. And gosh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about more of that in a minute, but for now, let's, let's, 
we'll entertain the theory. Let's talk about Flight 19. This is, uh, I'm going to call it the second most famous disappearance in the Bermuda Triangle uh, from history. So the 40s are really, this is where the Bermuda Triangle starts to pop off and gain popularity because especially with like the USS Cyclops and its sister ships, like that is a story and that really cemented this in conspiracy history. So Flight 19 is a group of torpedo bombers that disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle in December of 1945. Uh, If December is starting to sound familiar, it's because there have been three disappearances in December at this point uh, of the big ones, which, you know, bad weather season. They were on an overwater training flight and lost radio contact with the naval air station that, that they had launched from. So these planes go out, they're doing some bomber training, and shortly after the last bomb is dropped, uh, that's when their communications start to grow screwy. Uh, one of the plane's radios in to say that their compasses have gotten, gotten all messed up and they aren't sure where they are anymore. Like, they, they can't find their way back. Um, they radio back and forth with another training group. And they, you know, they're talking to this unidentified man who is referred to on Wikipedia as Taylor. But I, they, they also refer to him as an unidentified man. So I'm really kind of confused there. By the way, we'll call him Taylor for sake of argument. Taylor is able to identify that they are flying over the Florida Keys, but they can't find their way back to Fort Lauderdale, which is where they launched from. The other group gives Taylor instructions to fly east and then north so that they can hit landfall without ending up over the Gulf. Um, because then, you know, they'd be, they'd be going forever. There's nowhere to land in the Gulf. So the crew of training bombers gets increasingly turned around until eventually it is suspected that they actually did get somewhere into the Gulf of Mexico. The last known transmission says all planes close up tight. We have to ditch unless we hit landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. So it's worth noting that by the time they sent that transmission, it was dark and the weather was beginning to go bad. So they, they go missing. Uh, no more radio contact and they dispatch two more planes to go search for the others after contact is lost. Those planes also disappear. And eventually a cargo tanker spots an explosion that was quote, 100 feet high and burned for 10 minutes, presumably from one of these planes crashing. So worth noting the planes they dispatched also had a history of gas lines being faulty and exploding. So, you know, okay, like let's dispatch faulty planes to go after missing planes people have been searching for these planes for a long time kind of similar to the the cyclops and those ones and they have found plenty of wrecks but none of them ended up being flight 19 there was a couple of times they thought they had found it but they didn't so this is another this is another example of like they didn't find anything i think they found maybe like a life jacket or something but that was it then we get to 1964 which is where the it's funny like so we have all these disappearances right the term the Bermuda Triangle has still not been coined at this point. So Vincent Gaddis is the guy who coined the term Bermuda Triangle and is actually the same man responsible for stoking the myth, uh, no pun intended, of spontaneous combustion. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you know that that myth of like, oh, yeah. uh, like smoking in a chair and you drop the cigarette on yourself and you explode um, or like just other causes of spontaneous combustion. That was a thing that people thought happened. South Park had an entire episode about it. Yeah, South Park has had an episode about everything at this point. But yeah, like I, I remember, I remember reading about spontaneous combustion as like a kid, and something like that can't, really, that can't be real. But yeah, so same guy 
Bermuda Triangle Spontaneous Combustion. Gaddis wrote an article called The Deadly Bermuda Triangle. In it, he outlines several recent disappearances of oil tankers, prop planes, fishing boats, military craft, you name it, like everything. He also uses the term history of the mystery, so I guess we are violating his copyright with all it's, of our episodes. It's only a copyright if he copyrighted it. Vincent Gaddis, if he's alive, sorry, bro. Uh, he puts forth this theory, and this is the theory I think we were both talking about earlier, unless you've got another awesome one too, of atmospheric aberrations or holes in the sky. And the idea being that these aberrations could cause extreme shifts in weather, uh, magnetism, and potentially service paths for aliens, you know? As you do. So now this article does a good job at one thing, and it's laying out a bunch of mysteries... So I read, I read his whole article because I was able to find it online. Uh, so it lays out a bunch of mysteries and never dives too deep into them. Now, he talks about a lot of sightings that I didn't go into. And the reason why is because, like, beyond his article, the evidence is really thin. And the way that he writes this article is he focuses on the moments before the planes or boats disappear and builds tension to stoke the flames of tragedy. So he does the history channel thing where it's like, yeah. and then this stuff happened. What actually happened? Stay tuned and find out. Yeah. And like specifically, like I think he pulls on people's heartstrings and like specifically looks for fear and goes for fear. And so there's this one incident where he talks about a plane bound for Miami from San Juan Um he says, like, oh, it was it was a few days after Christmas. People were singing Christmas carols. Like, it was happy times. Everybody was happy. They had no idea what was coming. Um, and, you know, like, after a while, everybody was asleep on the plane. He calls out the number of children that were on board. And he says the pilots could see the lights of Miami when the plane mysteriously vanished. So they were so close. Well, here's the thing. The plane disappeared. So he has no fucking way of knowing that the pilots could see the lights of Miami. So he's artificially making his story closer than it might have been. But the the story of that plane is essentially they they're flying into Miami, they they do get close, they they radio they're getting close and then they just gone. Like completely gone, no evidence of like where the plane went, no wreckage, nothing. Um and it's super sensationalist. Like, so you say that, right? And you and you hear like that. I just gave you three sentences about that, and it sounds kind of spooky, and it sounds pretty mysterious. And that's how he builds this up. It's all super sensationalist, and this is exactly how you build a myth: is you know you get a bunch of anecdotal evidence about planes that disappeared. You build it up to sound like a disappearance when it's like, yeah, man, sometimes bad shit happens in planes, and they blow up, like just happens to be over a part of the ocean where it's hard to recover stuff. And after this point, pretty much anything after 1964 or before that now gets lumped into the Bermuda Triangle because he has artificially drawn a shape and said, this is where the disappearances happen. So that is that is my history of pre-1970 Bermuda Triangle. At which point, I think we kick to you, John. Yeah, so we're saying 1970 onward is kind of modern day and i'm actually going to start with airplanes first and then go to boats um november 3rd 1978 irving rivers arriving at saint thomas from saint croix vanished after being sighted by the control tower uh, but no trace was ever found um that's kind of the last airplane in a long time because our next one is june 20th 2005 uh, a Piper PA-23 airplane disappeared between Treasure K Island and Fort Pierce 
with three people aboard. And what I want to call out here is think of like, it's a Piper. It's not a Cessna, but like a Cessna style airplane. It's a four seater. It's a single prop plane. It's a tiny plane. So when you're flying around areas that, you know, are right next to Hurricane Alley, it's not a surprise when something like these go missing. Uh, on April 10th, 2007, a Piper PA 46310P, a bigger airplane, still a single prop, but looks to be like an eight person plane, disappeared near Berry Island after flying into a giant thunderstorm. Which, what the fuck were they thinking? Don't fly giant airplanes into thunderstorms. That's generally a bad idea. And this isn't a giant airplane, but it's, it's a giant metal object. It, yeah, I mean, so it's weird though, because like I, we, planes flying through thunderstorms all the time. Yeah, like, but they typically try and avoid it if they yeah, can. Yeah, that's fair. Or I mean, they, they try, try and go over the top of it. Yeah. Uh, February twenty third, two thousand seventeen, Turkish Airlines flight TK one eighty three had to change direction after some mechanical and electrical problems occurred. Um. This feels like a stretch to me. These things happen, and they're statistically bound to be some kind of malfunction with the sheer volume of airplanes that fly through this space. This is an Airbus airplane. It's it's a giant, giant commercial airplane. So, like, that's not a big deal, but it is lumped into, you know, this happened in the Bermuda Triangle, so it must be mysterious. Then the last thing from the airplanes is on May 15, 2017, a private MU-2B plane was at 24,000 feet when it vanished, but wreckage was later found. <sighs> Again, just sheer volume. Like, there's going to be malfunctions and things. I, I have a hard time saying that this is because of the Bermuda Triangle. Now, moving to boats, uh, on January 12th, 1980, the HMCS St. Lawrence sank off Cape Hatteras. It got stuck in a hurricane. Not really mysterious. It took on a bunch of water and sank. In July of 2015, two kids went fishing in a 19-foot boat. The Coast Guard searched a 15,000 square uh, square nautical mile grid, but didn't find anything until a year later where the boat was found off the coast of Bermuda. The boys were never seen again. Uh, and then in 2015, the SS El Perro sank after sailing into Hurricane Joaquin. Um, they were not like a phoenix. They did not rise from the ashes. Um, so, unfortunate, but... You know, when it comes to the Bermuda Triangle, I just don't think there's there's a major thing. Now, one story that I did find that, that cracked me up is in 2014, Reza Bellucci uh, had to be rescued by the Coast Guard as he was trying to trace the Bermuda Triangle, which is roughly a thousand miles to Bermuda, a thousand miles to Puerto Rico, and then a thousand miles back to his starting point in Florida for charity in a giant inflatable hamster ball. He had power bars, water, and planned to move at night and sleep during the day since temperatures were something like 120 degrees. And his thought was, when I get hungry, I'll fish. So he's going to just eat raw fish because he's in a giant inflatable hamster ball. Again, um, the U.S. Coast Guard first located him on a Thursday after somebody called about a repeatedly or a reportedly disoriented man in a bubble near the Miami coast asking, quote, how to get to Bermuda, unquote. He turned down the Coast Guard, saying he trained two years of his life for this. Then two days later, his SOS tracking beacon activated. He responded with, I didn't mean to turn on the tracking beacon. I was fine. I was sleeping during the day and people thought I was in trouble, end quote. And then his next quote was, I never quit. It's not me. 
Well, apparently when the U.S. Coast Guard rescued him, they rescued him and did not pull the hamster bubble into the boat. Um, so he lost his green card and passport in the hamster bubble, and it was never seen again. So I guess that's a ship that we've never Whoa. seen again. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So wait, where was it? Where did he leave from? He left from Miami. Oh, he left from Miami and made it basically to the Miami coastline. Yeah, he he didn't make it far. <laughs> I mean, think about that. He thought he would run in a hamster ball for a thousand miles at sea. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried like one of those hamster balls in water, water but there's no there's no traction. Like, yeah, like I yeah, that sounds like drugs. That sounds like that sounds like somebody on drugs to me. Like that's a terrible plan. Well, like, there's the people who is, try and like row that distance and don't make it in like boats that are trained. I don't know if it's drugs because he he also like for charity has done long distance runs, long distance biking. Like I think he just kind of got a little screwy, and then like he he like I believe he actually trained for this. Like I actually do. He's believe. just like I'm not a swimmer. I'm a runner. Well, how do I run on the ocean? hamster ball giant hamster ball maybe it like did it have like paddles on it or something i thought that through and i don't think it did wow yeah um huh. so that's what i've got for kind of modern culture but a couple of things that i do want to also include um your boy ben radford has mm-hmm. spoken on the bermuda triangle and his opinion is he's very skeptical um he thinks statistics and a little bit of depth of explanation um explain how this is a logical thing and this is like i had said around larry kush you know nothing out of the ordinary or out of the norm statistically and then um lloyd's of london is a marine insurer it has a ton of data uh and documentation around the bermuda triangle their business is marine insurance in my mind, it's always about following the money. And if there was even a scrap of evidence that said it was m- more likely to have something go missing or something go wrong in the Bermuda Triangle, an insurer would charge more. And they don't. They they don't charge any additional rates, any higher rates or anything along those lines, which tells me that the data also backs up that there's actually nothing mysterious here. Planes just go missing at a normal rate. And then the U.S. Coast Guard has also published stacks of data um, showing their opinion that there's nothing out of the normal here. They go to very far lengths to try and disprove this thought and this theory that um, the Bermuda Triangle is mysteriously and super supernaturally bad. Yeah, that's and, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm not surprised that uh, Benjamin has that, that he's done something on this. So he was on the podcast. He our first episode with him was about the, was it about the Chupacabra? I think it was. Yeah. So it was, it, he is the person who debunked the Chupacabra myth. Well, yeah, you won't take credit for it, but he did a lot of work to like go and find the first source of the Chupacabra myth and then debunk where that came from and trace it back to the movie species. That is an awesome episode that you should listen to. And then the second one we talked about, so he's written for, the skeptical inquirer in a bunch of other places over the years. And he, he released a book that is essentially just a bunch of stories of his, uh, like, uh, nonfiction stories of conspiracies that he's written about and debunked. And we've talked about like all sorts of crazy shit that he's looked into, uh, including Mongolian death worms, which we talked about earlier as well. But like, 
reading his stuff is fascinating because it really does like it does trace it down to find the money or like find the pop culture influence on a lot of these things and that's that's how I feel about the Bermuda Triangle because gosh like you really this is this is much thinner than I expected like there are a few pretty high profile disappearances but there are really good theories for why they have not been located yeah I mean I completely agree with that when I had started researching I was very quickly disappointed pop culture has really taken this and run with it and and spread this myth and it is a lot like Atlantis it is a lot like mermaids where it can be interpreted in a number of different ways and I mean we've seen it in books in movies it's just you could you can run with it however you want if you're a creative person you know we've seen it made into a game on the Atari 2600 Scooby-Doo had an episode that took place in the Bermuda Triangle in 1978. They also made a Scooby-Doo movie, Scooby-Doo Pirates Ahoy, that took place there. Um, Jack Black's 2010 goal over travels took place in the Bermuda Triangle. Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters, that's the second book slash don't watch the movie, takes place there. That's the whole concept of where sirens are and those types of things. And then just a ton of books uh, that are written about the triangle or use the triangle as a bit of a muse. Milton Bradley even had a board game in the 70s where you try and get through this cloudy swirl. Uh, really cool if you're looking at like retro artwork and those types of things. Um, and then Assassin's Creed Black Flag took place in the Bermuda Triangle, kind of, but it was more like the Caribbean because that's where pirating was really around. Um I expected Man of Medan to be in the Bermuda Triangle, but I was yeah. totally wrong. Nope, that's in Southeastern Asia. Yeah, um, but Man, Man of Medan, like, definitely... So that that's a game from... It's it's part of a, an anthology series that's on, like, Xbox and PlayStation. And it's about a, it's about a disappearing ghost ship. But, yeah, you're right. It is, in, it is in Asia. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with, like... Well, I guess it kind of, kind of, it kind of does. I don't know. Does what? I don't know. It fits. Like it's just not in the right area. It. I mean, it 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 kind of fits, but then you get to the end, and it's just a disappointing reveal. Yeah. Don't don't play it. It's it's not worth your time or money. Um. But yeah, it's we've had just a a ton of stuff take place there, and then a couple fun facts. Uh, Fleetwood Mac released a song in 1974 titled "Bermuda Triangle." Um, that song predated Stevie Nicks joining the band and it was on the last album before she joined and the, um, the band really hit it big coincidence. <laughs> I, I think so. I think that is a huge coincidence. Don't actually think their that. career didn't disappear into the triangle. Am I right? Oh, nicely done. Um, another person who released a song called Bermuda triangle, funnily enough is Barry Manilow. Um, <laughs> but his song was about how if you take your girl to the Caribbean and one of the islands around the Bermuda Triangle, uh, she will leave you for one of the hot hunky dudes there. So don't take your girl to the Bermuda Triangle or she'll disappear. And I do think it's interesting some of the theories that have popped up where <laughs> aliens, underwater alien bases underneath the Bermuda Triangle. Um, yeah. The concept of Atlantis having sunk beneath them and they're using their their crystal technology energies to sink ships and planes go back and check out our atlantis episode if you want to hear any more on that it is the one that predated this one yeah i um, was really hoping that that was gonna be a stronger connection so like so for context i'm pretty sure like 
99% of my belief around Atlantis and the Bermuda Triangle being connected in some way all stems from a, a theme park attraction in in Australia. And I think it's actually copied other places around the world, but it was at SeaWorld and there is a ride. I, it, I forget what it's called. It's like Journey to the Bermuda Triangle or something like that, but it's like it's a boat ride. And you go into the Bermuda Triangle and there's aliens and shit. And then there's Atlantis. Like, and it's it's a dark ride. And it's super amazing ride. One of the one of the best. Um, but I think that, like, as a kid, I internalized that. And I'm like, well, why would you make a ride about this if there was no theory behind it? But, like, there is the, the connection between Atlantis and the Bermuda Triangle pretty thin. Like... I think it's going to be really interesting... Like, I, I don't know, when my kid's old enough and I have to explain to him that, no, Nolan, um, they made the Pirates of the Caribbean ride before they made the movies. The movies were actually <laughs> based on the ride. Right? <laughs> like, it, it, they make they made theme park rides out of random shit. They, they made good, yeah, they used to make some pretty amazing stories around theme park rides. And I mean, like, that that's testament, though, because that stuck with me forever. Like that literally that, that made it into that book that you've, that you've read the draft of like that whole book centers around the Bermuda Triangle and Atlantis, like being connected in some way. And I really thought that there was more theories there, but it's like, nope, that's just shit that my own brain is concocted and stitched together from like patchwork memories. Well, here's the great so, thing, Ashton. People spin Bermuda Triangle any number of ways as I've found researching pop culture. You're good. Yeah. I, I mean, like. It's just a new theory now. And I mean, like, the the whole ancient aliens and aliens in the Bermuda Triangle thing, like, the only thing that I found that was even close to that was the atmospheric holes. And, yeah, time and dimensional portals were the theory that I thought you were going to go with, um, Mm. where it links to other areas, and that's what, quote-unquote, explains, unquote, not finding any remains. Um, Also, magnetic anomalies and reverse gravity are some of the theories that I wrote about. And I don't really know how reverse gravity works. Um, yeah, well, you know, if you want to know how reverse gravity works, don't, go watch. Uh, don't say Hollow Earth. No, no, no. Well, so close. Yes. Go watch Kong versus Godzilla because they do a whole thing about Hollow Earth and reverse gravity. And it doesn't make sense. It <laughs> physically doesn't make sense. The Earth is still a sphere. God damn it. That fucking movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Look, we all love cryptids and kaijus here. Just don't watch Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> like, like, fast forward to the fights. The fights are fun, but it's just there's... it's like fifteen minutes though. Like the fights yeah, it's are great. so short. Fifteen minutes, and it's so in, bad. Out. It's a two-hour movie. Yeah, and like we love we like we love Tremors. We we love Tremors and like stupid monster shit. This is like this bad stupid monster shit. Like, don't bother with it. But either way, we're off track. All right, John. I think we know the answer here. Uh, Bermuda Triangle fact bullshit in between where do you land follow the money if a major corporation is not charging an extra cent for people going through the bermuda triangle even if they could like that's my major thing is if lloyd's could they're a business they would they can't that tells me the bermuda triangle's bullshit yep i uh yeah and so here's here here's my twist ending, John. I've been there twice. <laughs> That's why you're the way you are. I know. <sighs> I've been through the Bermuda Triangle twice, and you know what? I didn't even know until after. <laughs> like 
Because boats just go fucking through it. Like, it's 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 a place boats go. Um, well, so... I, I think that's the other major thing. Is I, when we're talking about all these malfunctions so and these wrecks, it's just the law of large numbers there. Even if 0.1% of all of these vehicles traveling through go, you know, have a malfunction while we're there. That's a lot when you're looking at the sheer volume. Just a, and one last side note too. I remember as a kid there, so when Y2K was going to be a thing, there was this big cruise that that a bunch of people were booking where you could sail through the Bermuda Triangle when the year 2000 hit because like, let's just hit all of the doomsday theories at once. And you know, those ships were fine. So Shocker. there you have it. Yeah, that's it on the Bermuda Triangle. Honestly, you know, if I now that I think about it, it's not as fun as I thought it would be uh, as far as myths go. Like, I, I had more fun with Atlantis and mermaids. Mermaids especially. Like, that one shocked me how much I enjoyed the mermaids myths. But, yeah, I think it's just, it's really disappointing when you come into something with high expectations and you very quickly realize... That you were just wrong. And I mean, because we've had a few of these that we had no expectations, like in Kelly Bembe, that was really fascinating to research. And then I think it was the Chupacabra that I was really excited about. And then we got into it and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Like, oh, no, Chupacabra. Well, so that one was at least interesting because I really enjoyed I enjoyed talking to Benjamin Radford and I enjoyed reading Benjamin Radford's take like that. I think that made that myth for me. I'm uh, mostly just because, like, any chance I have to get Ben on the podcast, I will because he's just he's so fascinating to listen to, and he's very personable. Like he's he's just a great interview. So, but yeah, so we got for today. Next on tap, I believe is Cryptid Royale, and uh, we're going down under, doing Australian cryptids. We're going down under. That is all we have for today. Uh, that was, I mean, you know, I know it was a little bit of a disappointing myth for me, but it was still really interesting to research the Bermuda Triangle, and it's cool to get into something that's been a part of my life for so long. So we have one more episode left in this season. We're doing Cryptid Royale with Australian cryptids, which is where we take a basically a grab bag of cryptids that we've either talked about or maybe don't have a full episode or we can't do a full episode on yet, and we just... Uh, Basically, just hash it out, talk about which one's most believable, which one's the coolest, you know, whatever. It's a lot of fun. We do it at the end of every season, and uh, it's it's one of our favorite shows to record. So that'll be coming out in about two, three weeks, depending on when we can get our schedules aligned and all that. So in the meantime, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, stay healthy, stay safe. I know it's been a hell of a year, so I'm glad that you're choosing to spend some of your time with us. And I don't know. I hope you're all doing all right out there. Thank you so much for listening.